Alright, welcome back to another episode of NST and Things. Uh, this is Casey Smith. This is December 1st, uh, 2019. It's been a little while since uh, my last one, uh, but uh, it's been busy with the holidays. Thanksgiving just passed. It was a good time, but I um, wanted to at least get a little something in this weekend and uh, had a, a couple interesting cases. One that was... Um, I guess I'll start with, it was uh, a common one in the sense that we see a lot of patients, and I think as practitioners, we see a lot of patients that have seen many other uh, different types of therapists and doctors. They've had extensive scans, um, x-rays, MRIs. Uh, they, of course, come to you with all this information, <clears throat> which helps you know us kind of understand better what's happened to the structure and if anything's been compromised. Um, but it was amazing. This woman who um, had a, a you know a lower leg length than equity for years and years and years. She was very active. Skis. She's in her eighties. I mean, it's, she's impressive. And uh, you know, I tried getting her to wear it a while back ago, and she just wasn't didn't want it. So instead of pushing the case, I said, "Hey, you know what? You're uh, you're in charge of your own health and well being. I'm just here to help you." Uh, this is something that we know is present, and this is how it could be affecting your body. And um, as long as you're informed, then, you know, we'll move forward as such. So we did, and uh, things are good for probably a year or two. And uh, just recently, well, I guess just not recently, I just saw her recently, but <clears throat> she had uh, called the office um, about two or three months ago, uh, concerned, set up appointments so that she'd have appointments when she came down here. She'd been up north, and her... Um, kind of her husband is, uh, I, I believe he's an administrative healthcare professor, professor at, um, at Harvard or another similar university. And, uh, he had all these great resources, you know, being in the field. So he had reached out, got some of the best of the best in the area, looked at her. There's a torn meniscus. Um, there's some other minor damage around the area, but, um, I mean, I've, I've, met people, I know people that have partial ACL tears that have, you know, torn meniscus and they can walk around and they're fine. And as long as they don't, you know, get a little too feisty with certain things, um, the joint stays mobile for the most part. And if they, you know, they kind of at this point in their life know how to, you know, kind of regulate it, I guess you could say, um, whether that be through a little bit of exercise and, and cutting out certain activities and hobbies, cause they know it's not stable. And, um, she came in and her, I mean, her entire leg, uh, from her upper portion of her hip down to her knee, uh, was completely swollen. It was puffy. Uh, you could tell it'd been this way for a while. And, um, we went through everything, did an assessment, <clears throat> looked at some of her, um, previous scans she had done and what was kind of going on with those, uh, thinking those would help maybe lead us to the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me the key to what may be going on. And, uh, that wasn't the case. Um, we were able to see the damage and things like that, but actually what was affecting her was, um, her Levitt reactor system. Um, so the, those who don't know, um, one of the things that we look at in neurosomatic therapy is this <clears throat> relationship between your cranium, your cranial bones, uh, your pelvis and your pelvic bones. Uh, including your sacrum, and then all portions of the uh, of the spine. And depending on the area, um, if it's you know further down the chain, or I should say, you know the upper and lower portions 
Um, these areas, when they distort, they are meant to oppose one another. So the easiest way to explain it is if you didn't know, your cranial bones move. And if your right temporal bone, or where your ear is located, is higher on the right side, and the uh, uh, um, there's a, a landmark in the front of your pelvis that we measure off of, uh, if your right hip, make it simple, is higher on the right side, this can indicate that uh, one, if not maybe more, uh, areas in the levit reactor system have become, I use the word gridlocked, um, they should counterbalance each other, like I said, in certain areas. And then in certain areas, they'll actually match rotational patterns. Um, the biggies really are the the cranium and the pelvis. Uh, I have found throughout my practice that if I can get these two better fall in alignment, it not only reduces pressure on the entire central nervous system throughout the body, um, but it also tends to make people feel uh, this sense of like their body's wanting to move, like it has the capability. A lot of people walk around and they carry this, like you say, like a, a heavy burden of, like it's difficult to to lift a leg or getting through the day just feels sluggish and, you know, like a struggle. And what I found with a lot of these patients is that you can get this system to synchronize again. Sometimes that includes some soft tissue work. Sometimes it's a matter of maybe them helping you with certain mobilizations that we can take them through. There's an entire process. Um, but by getting that in proper alignment, not only does it take all this pressure and change so much for them, and usually it's noticeable when they get up. Um, <clears throat> but what I found also is that some distortions may go away completely. Um, a leg length that you thought was there um, isn't there. And this can be why some people uh, will be inclined to put a lift in someone's shoe because they're seeing a low hip or a low tilt or something along these lines and they're wanting to correct it and they try to correct it and it doesn't go away or the patient ends up with more pain or something like that ha is happening. And what I found is if you do the right soft tissue work, if it's meant to correct, it'll correct all the way. You'll see a lot of those larger distortions go away or maybe decide not to put a lift in because of uh, uh, the levit reactor actually being stuck and they're not being one. And we'd consider that a functional leg length inequity compared to a structural. So structural would just mean, you know, whatever the circumstance, you have a little less bone <clears throat> potentially in your femur uh, or your tibia and fibula, uh, fibula. And the functional part is the levit reactor. Something is influencing the system. It could be organ related to, but we don't get into that right now. Um, there could be some influence that's causing the muscles to relax or react. And as they react, they may tighten up, they may shift, they may cause certain distortions. So, um, in this woman's case, um, don't know how she did it. Um, she had mentioned there was a, a fall at one point, but she never hit her head and you know, whatever the case may be, her Levitt reactor got stuck. And when she came in, she had this degeneration in her knee, which may or may not have been there before. We don't know entirely because we didn't have, you know, nobody has the before scans before an injury. And um, she was just stuck. She Her whole body was gridlocked. And I could tell she was just really desperate uh, when she came in too. So I, I was, and she's usually very bubbly, very, like I want to do cartwheels down the hallway type person. And she has. Uh, mind you, she is 80, so or at least 80. Um, 
so it was very out of her her sorts to just come in that way. And we started going through things. And I mean, these are hard concepts for practitioners to understand, let alone, <clears throat> you know, our own, th- our own students that are new into this kind of work um, or patients that, you know, we're trying to break this down as simple as possible to them. Um, I explained everything that her body was doing. I tried to explain to her that, you know, her doctors probably wouldn't even know to look for this sort of stuff. Um, some of the questions I was asking her, you could tell they didn't probe nearly as much. It sounded like they were just kind of relying on the scans. And I think that's where we come into some problems with Western medicine. I mean, if you're dying, Hey, they're, you know, they're bound to save you. But, um, when it comes to these more acute chronic type issues, these degenerative things that we're just swapping parts out on, nobody's taking a step back to look and see, okay, so a disc was herniated. Why did it herniate? How did it herniate? You know, and never uh, assessing and asking those questions and figuring out why certain things are going a certain way. They just, you know, oh, that's broken. So we'll just fix it and send you on the way. And unfortunately, they couldn't do that to her. Or fortunately, I guess I should say. And after taking her through <clears throat> kind of the verbal explanation and, and education part of it, uh, we got to work. And I mean, it took me every bit of the remaining hour. So I'd probably say a good 45, 50 minutes of bouncing through all these different areas and getting the soft tissue to release so that we could make the proper structural corrections <clears throat> or allow her structure to fall back into place. And, um, it worked, uh, found out that she was actually flexing that hip. Of course it came back to the whole leg length thing. And once we corrected her, her Levitt reactor, I said, you know, this is happening because of this. So her issue was actually a structural issue, which we knew it was from, um, her previous charts and everything, but she just didn't want to fix it. But now she was put into a position where if she didn't correct it, uh, the area that was already beyond agitated, um, would continue to get agitated and then she would more or less begin to have repercussions of long-term inflammation and swelling in that area. Um, you can already tell the tissue is starting to atrophy and things like that. So, um, she, or we put her on the lifts, we did some muscle tests, make sure she was, you know, more stable on them and things like that. And, uh, all she needed was about four millimeters, I think, and, uh, corrected it hundred percent. Uh, I saw her again for a follow-up, uh, the following week and, um, all good news. She, uh, had been feeling better overall. Of course, she still had the mental, you know, worried about that, you know, this little thing or that little thing could, could hurt it. And I tried to explain that as the tissue in the area gets healthier, it's going to better be able to kind of support her body weight and her activities and hobbies and things like that. Obviously we always want to take it easy in the beginning, but, um, she was doing much better. I mean, she was able to straighten the knee more. Um, the swelling around her kneecap, you could see, was starting to dissipate. I mean, it, that had begun to change at the end of the first treatment. And then at the end of the second, you could actually start to see kind of that uh, that upper divot or swoop, whatever you want to call it, uh, where the patella tendon is, into the quad. So she was just to be able to visually see that, you know, there's muscle there. And, and you know, it's not just some mushy mess um, I could tell she was greatly alleviated, um, mentally and physically. So it was, uh, it was an interesting case, but it was one of those where 
it had a couple things going on. You know, I had an old patient that was coming back. Um, I usually see her, but it's for like maintenance stuff. You know, it's, Hey, I tweaked my elbow or my wrist playing tennis. Great. Fine. Okay. How's everything else? Oh yeah. Good. Okay. Fantastic. And life goes on. Um, but here we had known something was going on. She was able to manage it, um, without any issues until recently. And, uh, <clears throat> so not only was she coming back, but we had to bring up the whole leg length issue again. So I had to reeducate her. Um, help her better understand why this was so important in the beginning and not saying that it could have prevented this from happening because like I said we don't know how her love it reactor got stuck in the first place Um, but she was able to manage that problem or that I should say that leg length inequity until her love it reactor became gridlocked and once it became stuck into place it basically forced her hip into a uh, a fixed flex position and uh it just continued to wreak havoc on her body. So it'll be interesting to see how she, uh, she improves in the future as far as, you know, wearing the lift and staying committed to it. And if she notices some differences, she did already notice, uh, some changes in her golf game, um, which isn't uncommon. Uh, I forget exactly the, the corrections. I don't know if you're, what would it be if you're a right-handed golfer and you had a left short leg, yeah, you may not gained, you may not have good yardage, but you may have a little better control of the ball. And then I believe if you have a, if you're a right-handed golfer and you have a right short leg, so the opposite leg is shorter, uh, you may get a little more loft, uh, potentially a little more distance, but you may lose some control. Um, and I don't know these specifically. I'm sure there's some, you know, genius out there. I know Paul St. John golfs quite a bit. He could probably, you know, give me a little more insight to this, but those were some of the changes I've had people explain to me. And she was noticing that she was having, um, great luck at getting more under the green, uh, right off the get, but then she was having, you know, more difficulty with the, um, uh, the putting and whatnot. So it's funny you think about that, you know, she was maybe, you know, driving a little short before, but had good control because think of it, her body was almost angled down. Uh, but after correcting that and not necessarily putting her in an, you know, the opposite position, like overcorrecting the left, but just bringing her back up to level, uh, was getting her more yardage. And then she was having to, I guess, go through the struggles you could call it of recalibrating and relearning to use your body. So when she's putting, she has a closer stance, um, the leg length uh, that her body was used to compensating for her muscles now have to begin to behave differently. Um, she had a slight scoliotic curve too. So as that lifts in there more, I know she is older. So, you know, how much it's going to correct could be limited, but, um, those tissues are still going to want to try to adapt around the new machine and she's active and physical enough that I think it'll, it'll start to recalibrate well. And I'm sure I'll hear in the future that her putting and stuff is, is improved, uh, as well, but it's, it's cool to hear those little intricate details that, you know, sometimes people don't notice, uh, you got to kind of, you know, lead them to the path. And then they're like, Oh, you know, when I was doing that activity that I love, I did notice this, you know, this was different. This was, this had changed. Um, so that was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. So the other case that um, I wanted to mention was, it's kind of an ongoing one. Um, 
and it's one of those cases where as a practitioner I'm hesitant to want to continue it on um the woman's in her uh mid late 80s I'd say more late 80s she has a, a significant head forward posture like a giraffe you know just projecting straight out in front of her body um <clears throat> excuse me not to say that these individuals can't get better but there's a there's a lot of a lot, a lot, a lot of, you know, self, um, how should I word this? Self, uh, awareness, um, wanting to change, wanting to actively do something about, you know, what you're kind of struggling with and not think that this or this individual is going to necessarily be the, the cure-all. And, this woman, even with a, a health background, in a sense, um, she she knows she has terrible posture. She knows she's ended up this way over years. Um, it's part of the neck pain and head pain that she's currently dealing with. And uh, it was, it's just one of those things where as a practitioner, you have to kind of make a judgment call. And I've seen her a couple times, and the only reason she came in was because her friend had referred her and it's more or less like an experiment with me, which <laughs> jokes on her little does she know she's also an experiment. Um, the traditional things that we would treat for neck pain and these, uh, I'll call them head, headache type symptoms, like tension headache type symptoms, um, is we would try to, you know, get her anterior flexors to release, um, try to get her out of that head forward posture, uh, you know, try to get her suboccipitals to relax um, and try to detonify some of the eccentric areas in the neck and maybe give her some standing exercises to, you know, posture up against a wall or, you know, tuck her chin, some some small things to try to get her head that back over her shoulders. But again, it comes back to, you know, these individuals have to be aware that they're slouching in the first place. They have to be willing to actively want to change their posture and how they sit and their overall kind of structure. Like they have to be willing to keep themselves in check all day, which is a tall order. And I just had a feeling she wasn't doing that. And I want to say I'd seen her two times. And at the end of the last treatment, I had anticipated, uh, or excuse me, there was three treatments. At the end of the third treatment, I was anticipating this was going to be the last time we'd see each other. <clears throat> Previous two treatments, I had worked on these muscles worked on some other muscles that help with rotation. She was feeling this pain behind her, um, more or less behind her ear, more specifically in her mastoid process, which it's like, okay, easy, right? Head forward posture. We know there's some muscles that are attached there that are going to be, uh, tight, uh, certain areas that are going to be eccentric. There's going to be a lot of tone there. We just going to call that area down. No big deal. You know, another day at the office. And what ended up happening by the third yeah, the third appointment was I discovered, um, and just kind of through conversation too, um, she had had a facelift in the past and I've told people about this before where, you know, you can maybe have some plastic surgery and who knows entirely what the, the game plan of the doctor is that's doing it. They could rely on a certain amount of, uh, a certain amount of scar tissue to be forming, uh, to help kind of hold things in place. And I don't know if that was, you know, her, 
her, uh, her situation exactly. I think it was just kind of, it just happened to unfold this way for her. Um, but you have some auricular muscles around your ear. And interestingly enough, I just kind of threw a Hail Mary out this day. <clears throat> and I was trying to do any little thing, anything that could be significant or of importance. And went through and worked through this area. And what I found is uh, more or less on the surgical site scars themselves, um, <laughs> the, the muscle was locked up. The muscle is so tender, so painful. I mean, this was the, the majority of the pain that she was feeling all the time um, whenever she would turn her head and things like that. So what was interesting is these muscles, they're in close proximity, but they don't attach necessarily to the mastoid processor. Those muscles don't attach to there. But what does is this epicranial fascia sheet that kind of wraps around, well, our entire body, but specifically in this region over the cranium itself. And what I believe, this is my theory on what was happening, is because her head forward posture had progressed significantly, and she had informed me of this over the past, we'll say, you know, five to 10 years, she had this facelift 15 years ago. So 15 years ago, her head and neck were in a certain position. 15 years later, were way out in front of the shoulder. Things have degenerated more. Her head forward posture has continued to progress, and it's getting worse. And what I believe is happening is the tissues that are pulling around on the mastoid and even her traps and, you know, other erector muscles that are attaching at the base of the cranium, I believe they're pulling on that epicranial fascia and the fascia is being tugged around the scars. And because the scar or the, uh, uh, the auricular muscles are already agitated potentially from the surgery from way back in the day. Could be, again, a reflex from surrounding tissues. We call it a somatic-to-somatic reflex. Um, tissues in close proximity uh, to each other or that may share a similar distortion will begin to help out. Um, that's just kind of what they do. But um, it was interesting to see, I mean, five minutes of treating these muscles and then having her get up, the getting up pain in her neck completely went away like completely went away. And when I worked on everything else that actually causes her, the head forward posture and that, you know, her big problem, um, she was, it was like no symptoms, didn't feel a thing. Everything was okay. Um, minor sensitivities, but boom, hit those irregular muscles. Everything started to release <clears throat> everything around the base of her head felt better. She could rotate her head better. I mean, just crazy things that you don't see from these muscles that shouldn't even, these muscles shouldn't even influence, but because of the significance of, or I guess the, not even significance, the, I don't know, the, the creativity in which our vessels are constructed, um, things react off each other. Um, so although this didn't affect her posturally, the postural muscles that were pulling in that region were adding pressure to this area, which had already been traumatized through previous surgery. So really off the wall, pardon me, case that, um, just kind of came through. I had no idea what to do for this lady. I mean, it'd been seven years, uh, this year that uh, I've been practicing and I had never come across something like this. You know, I had known about the surgical scars from scar tissue or uh, from plastic surgery and stuff like that and where they might be located. Um, but never influencing somebody's pain 
and all that as much as, as much as this is. It was really, um, an eye-opening experience for me and just wanted to kind of shed a little light on that and see if, um, Hey, you know, somebody else might be out there with a similar predicament and this could, uh, you know, be that little seed that may spawn, a a little something greater, uh, as far as progress goes for a patient that could be out there. But, uh, if you can't hear, that's my lovely Bella screaming and crying in the background. It is seven thirty, So daddy duty is about to begin for today. So, uh, I will do my best to uh, try to be back a little sooner uh, than this time. I know this was a little delayed, uh, like I said, just due to the holidays and some traveling and stuff. So finally, uh, life's starting to quiet down a little bit, which is nice. Hopefully enjoy uh, this month of December and spend a little more time with the family and uh, a little more time with uh, with patients. Stay a little more focused. All right, y'all. Well, uh, I appreciate you hanging with me, and we'll see you next time.